Well, good morning, good morning, and good morning. So this morning, I wonder if I was to ask you, have you ever failed an exam? I wonder how many of you would put your hands up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing that. I've failed quite a few. Um, ever failed your driving test? Yeah, I failed twice. Yeah. Yeah. And exams and tests are sort of an, inev- an inevitable part of life, it would seem. I remember um, when I took my driving test, um, at the time I was in the middle of a four-year training period with the Royal Signals and Radar, and their training school was on the middle of this big site, and you, you had to check in and check out through a military police gate, and it was at the height of the... At that time, that, you know, the, all the troubles in Northern Ireland were underway, and so security was pretty tight. The point being, you couldn't just slip in and out um, unnoticed. And my colleagues at the time had realised that I'd sneaked out and had twigged that I was about to go and take my driving test, um, which I then failed. And when I got back on site, my... Um, my instructor could see I was, you know, I was pretty cut up. And he took me to one side and he said, uh, he said, don't worry, Chris. He said, at least you didn't do what one of my, um, one of the lads in my year did. I said, well, what was that? He said, well, as he was taking his driving test, he knocked a gentleman off his bicycle. <laughs> and the examiner said to him, aren't you going to stop and see if he's okay? To which he replied, nah, I can see him in my rear view mirror. He's getting up. He'll be fine. (laughs) He failed. (laughs) He failed. But tests, they they do seem to be an inevitable part of life. And it it might actually come as a surprise to you that um, they crop up in the Bible. In fact, God even instigates a, a number of them. We're in a series at the moment... Uh, we, we've done kind of like the, the, the big picture, the overview of the uh, whole Bible. And um, we're looking now at some individual characters and understanding their, their place and significance in the big story. And we've been conscious um, as a team that we want to do that from a place of understanding those people's place, not just in the story, but their place in terms of their intimacy with God. Because it sets up for us a model of what God wants from us. So this morning we're looking at the story of Abraham. Um, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn with me to, this, to chapter 22. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. Um, it's referred to in Hebrew as the Akidah, or the binding of Isaac, that is to say, Isaac, who was Abraham's son. Now, let me just set this in context for you. Abraham is often referred to as Father Abraham, and for good reason. We're in Genesis, we're at the, uh, at the sort of the beginning of the, the Bible story, or early on in the Bible story. And through Abraham, we see this incredible lineage that when you get into the New Testament, 
we see Jesus. So we're talking about Jesus' roots here. And Abraham is a man marked by two things, I would suggest. Courage and intimacy. And in this passage of scripture, Abraham is he's, he's knocking on a bit. He's effectively, he's, he's, he's been a refugee. He's known some serious trouble and aggro and anxiety in his life. But in the middle of all of that, he, you can't help but read his story and think, wow, this is a man who was so intimate with God. Chapter 22. I should just point out in this part of the story that Abraham is also married. He's married to Sarah. And uh, you can read back through the story, but they, they longed for a child, and it didn't happen for them. And God intervened miraculously. And Isaac, his only son, the son of great promise, is born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. It's also important to note, just before we get into chapter 22, that God had promised... In Genesis 17, verse 19, that Abraham would have many descendants and that they would come through his son Isaac. Okay, we got that? Abraham, he's got a son Isaac, he's married to Sarah. And God has promised that he's going to have many descendants and a great nation through his son. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's just hold it there. At face value, there are some big problems with this passage. And it's important that you understand something of the big picture. Why? Why on earth would a God who is so loving and so benevolent and so kind and so long-suffering instruct Abraham to go and sacrifice his own son? We know from the Old Testament that it was a practice that God detested. Under the Levitical law, God makes it absolutely clear that this was not to be done. It's also important to notice the whole concept of, it's a big, big phrase, substitutional propitiation or atonement hadn't actually been established. That is to say, under the Old Testament law, you can read this at your leisure, but there were strict rules as to what, the, as to what people could offer as a sacrifice, as an atonement for the sin and the mess that they'd committed. Now, that law hadn't been established yet, so we're, we're even pre-law. So, it, it raises the other, another point. What, was, what on earth was going on here? What was the point of this test? There's also another problem um, that Calvinists and, and a whole other, a load of other people love to get into. It's a really interesting argument. But it says something like this. If God is the Alpha and the Omega and he knows the beginning from the end, 
In other words, if he's got your days all mapped out for you in advance, surely he's going to know what choices that you will and won't make and knows in advance what the outcome would be. Which again, there is truth in that. But God limits limits himself at times. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the main beneficiaries of this passage is not necessarily Abraham, although he did benefit from it. It's written there supernaturally in advance for our benefit. Through the story of Abraham, what you will see again and again is a modeling or foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And there comes a point when you have to just stand back and go, wow, our God is amazing. He's written history in advance through the life of this man for my benefit. We'll get there, trust me. So take your son, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Let's hold it there. There's some key phrases here. Your son... Your son, Abraham, and just to make it really clear, your only son. And this phrase crops up more than once in this passage. The inference here, sorry ladies, but it's a very male phrase. It's a a father, son. Okay, it has direct echoes to John 3, 16. And it's, this, this phrase, whom you love, is critical because it's the... It's the first mention of love in the Bible. And there's a thing that scholars love to get in. It's, the, it's called the rule of first mention. Whenever you see a, um, a concept, an idea, or even, even a particular phrase, the first time it's mentioned, it's always, it always has significant um, meaning. It's certainly true here. Because God is mapping out his master plan in advance. Take your son, your only son. It echoes John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Remember that one? Yeah. It's also important to note, verse 4. The third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. Third day, note that. Because as soon as God gives the command to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son, what does it say? Abraham rose early the next morning. There's no delay here. There's no, well, let me go and see my relatives. Let's have a leaving party. Let's do X, Y, and Z. From that point on, from that three-day period, Isaac is as good as dead to him because God has given him the command and Abraham is being obedient. But I am firmly of the conviction that Abraham knew that God had got a problem. Because God had already promised to Abraham that he was going to be the father of this great nation, that through him he was going to have many descendants. So Abraham must have been an absolute mixture of emotions. God, you've promised, but my circumstance and what you're telling me are a million miles from each other. 
And yet he is obedient. And nowhere in this passage on that three-day journey does it say Abraham stopped. Don't get me wrong, he may, they may have stopped overnight and whatever, but he was single-minded in his pursuit, in his obedience to God. And notice what he says in verse 5, another key phrase. Abraham said to his young, ma- young men, this was after they arrived, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go and worship and we will come back to you. See, I have the firm conviction, I have this firm conviction that Abraham believed at that point that even if God required him to sacrifice and kill his son, he was going to raise him from the dead. We're going to come back. We will come back to you, says Abraham. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, look, father, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Again, you can't help but think of passages of John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Abraham, verse 8, says, My son, my only son, God will provide for himself. Not just God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for the offering. And so the two of them went together. God will provide for himself. There's a lot of Bible scholars, and again, this is perhaps a study for another day. Um, Chuck Missler, John MacArthur, there's others as well, who hold to the belief here that actually Isaac, remember those ladybird books you had as a kid? Anybody remember the ladybird books? Yeah, and there was one. There was one children of the Bible. I was trying to find it, but I, I couldn't. I remember there was a picture in there, and it's it. It's atypical of this story. And Abraham is depicted as this old man, and Isaac is depicted as a little Lord Fauntleroy-esque character with golden curls of probably about four or five years old. And scholars have good reason to believe that actually that was not the case. Isaac, Isaac is a young man at this point. Could even have been 30 years old, which makes it even more provocative. But again, I just put that out there. God will provide for himself the lamb, says Abraham. So somehow Abraham realizes at this point that he is acting prophetically. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, verse 10. Just picture that for a moment. The father with the son, his only son that he loves. And he's bound, he's helpless on the altar. And Abraham, Abraham stands over him. And he's got the knife in his hand. It's about to deliver the bow. Abraham, Abraham! You ladies will know. You've got to get the attention of your man. You have to call him twice. 
With God, it was no way, no different. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Oh, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, that does. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld him from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. There it is again. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants. as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth and of city church shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt there. It's an incredible story. They return to the young men and Abraham, in a sense has passed the test. I know many of you will have experienced that moment when you see that you've passed. You've passed the test. You've passed the exam. I love this passage, not only just for the sheer narrative of it, but it's, it's a model or a foreshadowing of Jesus. And when you compare this story, this little snapshot, you cannot help, or at least I can't. I got lost in this yesterday. I started to to draw up a list of the similarities between this and what Jesus, uh, uh, the story of Jesus. I'll rattle through a few of them. A father leads his son to be sacrificed. A donkey is used on the road to the place of sacrifice. Matthew 21, verse 5, remember that? Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Remember that one? They both leave their homeland to travel to to that place of sacrifice. Each son is the one and only of the father. And the sons, both Jesus and Isaac, in a sense, are descendants of Abraham. Each son is born of divine intervention. And here's one of the most provocative ones. Each of the sacrifices, so the sacrifice of Isaac and the place of Jesus' crucifixion are pretty much in the same place. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as Mount Moriah. In the New Testament, it's referred to as Mount Calvary or Golgotha. Here's another one. Both sons carry the wood to their place of sacrifice. The son, the son, the sons are, Submit to the will of the Father. Think about it, young people. If your dad's standing there over you with a knife and he's got you stretched out on an altar, would you be resisting at that point? I certainly would be. 
<laughs> I certainly would be. So the sun was laid on the wood. The sun was laid on the cross. A resurrection was prophesied. The Lord himself provides the sacrifice. The sacrifice was a substitute. We have the ram for Isaac and Jesus for us. And here's another one. I love it when it says Abraham looked up and he sees this ram caught by its horns, by its head in the thorns of the thicket. And Jesus, our high king, was crowned with thorns. Be assured, know this, City Church, that God will allow you to go through testing experiences. I will even venture to say that sometimes God sets them up, not for his benefit, but for yours and for those around you. Why? Hebrews Hebrews 12, it says, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Yet nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Rest assured, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ and made him number one on a list of one, you have committed yourself to God's training program. And there are times when you will think, what on earth have I done? What on earth is this situation that I find myself embroiled in? And it's not because God is a God of some sort of masochistic God who enjoys in, in, in our discomfort or displeasure. No, 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 no. It's so that he can present you as fruits of righteousness to those around you. It's about growing his kingdom. I, um, there's one question I want to ask you this morning. If you take nothing else away this morning, take this. It's a question. How obedient are you prepared to be? Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's a phrase that was used in the Old Testament, and it's true for us in the New Testament. It was a phrase that was used by the prophet Samuel in the story of David the king, remember that, and King Saul. And King Saul had taken it upon himself to, to, to offer some sacrifices that he was not meant to offer. And so to try and make the situation right, he, he, he makes these series of illegal sacrifices. As if to say to God, look, it's okay, I've, I've done this. But he hadn't actually been obedient. And I tell you this because it's been my experience that when we are obedient, like that, even in the smallest of things, the outcome is it's staggering. It's, it releases something of God's kingdom. Is that the time? Right. Better speed up. Let me share a story with you. Um, the conclusion of this story only happened a couple of weeks ago, and it was deeply, deeply moving. About 12 years ago, 
I was employed by a company, and we made high-speed um, packaging equipment. In particular, we, our speciality was high-speed weighing systems. And I'd been at the company for, for, for a few years um, in, a in my role as a, as a design engineer. And we saw this need, or we thought we saw this need within the market to design and make this stripped-down, lightweight, high-speed um, weighing system for use on packaging lines. And um, it, wasn't, it wasn't just me. That wasn't just my decision. It was, it was felt by one or two of us within the... Uh, a few of us within the company. So I was tasked to design this bit of kit. And it was a, a quite a simple, stripped-out stripped-down version of, 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 of much quicker, faster, better systems. There was a hardcore element within the company that did not want that machine built. And to, to, to not go into too fine a detail, um, they made me public enemy number one. I took some real abuse for it. In fact, I, um, uh, in the LTG that I was in at the time... As a friend of mine, he was a, a solicitor, and, he, and, and I'd shared some of this with him, and he said, Chris, keep a file. He said, if ever you want me to act for you, he said, you'd easily win an employment tribunal. He said, you know, some of this is just vile. Um, but we kind of talked it through in our LTG, and we... we oh, oh, wise counsel, good friends. Um, we kind of felt that, actually, I needed to see this through. This is, there's more in this. And so I resolved that that was what I was going to do. So we designed this system, it got built, and it worked. Praise God. And then the company went bust. God had already sorted me out with another job. That's another story. Praise God for that. And I thought no more of it. The company that, went, that I'd worked for that went bust did a lot of work for another company during those years. And this second company started making high-speed packaging equipment because they employed quite a few of the people from the company that had just gone bust. I, I didn't know any of this at the time. I, I was way out of there, praise God. But they started building high-speed weighing equipment. Twelve years later... I'm working for a totally different company, but we had a requirement just a couple of weeks ago. We needed some specialised um, manufacturing that this other company could offer, and I knew they, they did it. So we did the whole due diligence thing, we got our purchasing team involved, and we went down to visit them. And I was just talking to the, the MD there, and we, we were just sort of sharing some stories and, and, and memories of joint projects that we've been involved with. It's really great to catch up. He said, I'll give you the tour. So we went downstairs, and he opened the door onto the um, manufacturing area. And it was a profound moment, because pretty much for all I could see was row upon row of, this, of these machines that we designed and built back in the day, um, 12 years previously, when I, when I worked for this first company. And it was deeply moving. And I said, this is, the, this is that machine, isn't it? 
And he went, yes. He said, it's, he said, it's consistently been our bestseller over these years. Um, I should just mention there was a huge, um, there was, in case you didn't, don't remember, there was, a, um, the mar- there was a big market crash which really affected the manufacturing sector. He said, it's the one machine that we've consistently sold year on year. And he said, it's enabled us to keep going and do what we do now. And I, I don't say that because, you know, I passed the test. I, yeah, I, it was just one of those moments where this is what God requires. Are you going to be obedient? Now, I don't, that was one of the ones I got right. But I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful. I mean, it kept all those people employed all those years. And I, 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 it's an image that I think I'll probably carry with me to the grave, just seeing them lined up like that. And I think, wow, how great is our God. But that's why I share this story of, of Abraham with you. God is off after. He's after your courage, and he's after your intimacy, and he's after your obedience. So I ask you again this morning, how obedient are you prepared to be? I know that many of you are, are, are involved in testing times, testing circumstances. And that's what God is after, your obedience and your intimacy with him. Two-point two, two sermon, obedience, and sim, uh, obedience with him. So our time is, is pretty much gone here. Um, perhaps I could ask the, the, the worship team to come up. And um, I feel this morning, and I'm, as I was preparing this yesterday, I really felt God say, I really felt God say, you know who you are. There's people here this morning. You know who you are. God is requiring obedience of you in something. Like, like Abraham, that I've spoken, I want you to act. And there's that hesitancy. Can I, can I really trust you in this, God? Have you really got my back? Can, can I? Can, you're not going to plunge that knife in me? <laughs> So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your patience with me, for starters. But your patience and your goodness to us as family on a journey. And Lord, I know you call us to obedience. Not just half-hearted obedience but complete obedience. Just like you did with Abraham. To not hold back. Lord, I know this morning that you want to unlock through the lives of these dear people. You want to unlock kingdom goodness. Not for our benefits, necessarily. Although we do get blessed in the process but for those of, around us that we mingle with day to day. Lord, so that we might, as we read, Lord, just a few moments ago, Lord, when 
I'll find the verse. So that we might yield, Lord, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Lord, those kingdom fruits of righteousness. We want to be them and we want to extend them. So, Heavenly Father, in these moments, would you speak? Amen.